And if you would please take out your copies of God's Word as we examine Luke chapter 14 today. Luke chapter 14. We'll be finishing this great chapter today in our march through the Gospel of Luke. Today we're going to be starting in verse 25. Listen carefully, for this is the Word of Christ. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let us now go before this God, our Lord Christ, and ask his blessing on our text today. Lord Jesus, we have a very challenging passage in front of us, a passage that, if we understand it correctly, should lead to great conviction in our hearts. So I pray that we would look into this passage and account for it honestly. I pray that you would help me to preach it well and that we would not walk away from this passage unchanged today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Finding the price of something is a hard thing to do today because people that are trying to convince you to buy something are always trying to hide exactly how much it costs. We'll see a product that is available for five easy payments of $21.36 try to throw us off as to how much we're really paying for something. Or even when we have to know the price of something, they'll price it in such a way so it doesn't seem like it's costing you as much as you think. For some reason, $24.99 seems cheaper than $25, even though it's only a penny difference. The whole point of something is to try to get you to forget what it's costing you in order to obtain something, because they want you to focus on the product itself and not remember the cost. But Jesus is quite different and how he portrays himself. At this point, he seems largely successful. 
in the Gospel of Luke. Look here in verse 25 when it's great crowds who are accompanying him. Most would want to try to capitalize on this advantage. There's a great many people listening, so don't mess it up now. But Jesus seems to take a different approach. And instead of trying to hide what following after Christ would look like, he rips the curtain back to show us what discipleship will really mean. And what that is, is costing of everything. It's very different than how we hear Jesus preach normally in America. We talk about Jesus as something that you give a shot for. 30-day trial. Low-risk option to try. But that's not what Jesus is. When Jesus is speaking, he says, oh, you want to be my disciple? Well, why don't you sit down for a moment? Think about that for a time. Because if you really are ready to do this, this can cost you everything. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at this passage and take a good look at it. It's worth our doing. Because I think in America, it's something we easily pass over. In fact, I would dare say that America is one of the hardest places in the world to be a faithful Christian. Why do I say that? I don't mean it's the most physically dangerous place to be. Something like that would be China or Iran and our brothers and sisters that face persecution, torture, even death like in North Korea every day. But what we face here is a trial of the soul. In our country in the West, we have built a world around us where everything can be exactly to our liking. We can control the air temperature. We can control what we drive, we can control where we drive, and everything that we promote in our country is freedom, 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 which means no cost. That's different than what Jesus preaches here. Jesus doesn't preach a gospel of comfort. Jesus doesn't preach a gospel that is sacrifice-free. He teaches a discipleship that will, if we're honest and faithful to it, cost us quite a bit. It's contrary to what we hear in this country but it's something that we have to take a look at in this passage. And what I hope that you'll get from this is actually great comfort. One of the things that's the most stressful bit about purchasing something is not knowing how much it really costs. When you find a a vehicle that you really like and you you see a price down there, you know that doesn't include the taxes and all these other fees and all these other things, and you go in there with a certain amount of trepidation as to how much this thing's really gonna cost you. But if you've got something that you know exactly what this is going to cost you, and you see its surpassing value of that cost, you see that this is an investment that's worth putting in, and you will gladly spend and be spent to obtain it. And that's why I hope we discover here today that this is not just a focus on the cost, although we do need to look at that, but it's also a focus on what is the return. So... And our two points today, which you can find in your um, outline that's uh, tucked into your bulletin there, our two points that we're going to look at is the first is that following Christ is a call to die. Following Christ is a call to die. But secondly, not following Christ will cost even more. Not following Christ will cost even more. Those are our two points that I want us to look at today. Those are our takeaways I want us to see. So first, let's start with Jesus. Following Christ is a call to die. 
Here, Jesus is teaching the crowds, and he starts with a very pointed phrase that sounds almost wrong if we look at it. Look here, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, the word hate that he uses there, if you look closely in the original language, what you will find is the word there means hate. (laughs) Startling, I know. But what does Jesus mean by that? Why would he use such a strong word to talk about our families, even our own lives? Well, he's not calling us to actually hate our mother and father and brothers and sisters. This is something that there there is no place for hate in Christianity anywhere. In fact, we see other passages where he is kind to his disciples, when he does love his family. And in other places, like in Ephesians, we're commanded to honor our father and our mother. And we are commanded to love our children. So what is Jesus saying here? What Jesus is talking about here is that the love that we have for Jesus so outweighs everything else that it would seem like hatred in comparison. An analogy that I can draw for, I love my collection of books in my home. I've got a rather large quantity of them, if you can ask my wife. But in the event of a house fire, I'm going to leave my books behind so I can snap up my wife and child to get out of the house. Now, it would appear... By doing so, I would seem to hate my book collection by, being, by allowing them to suffer and burn and perish in a fire. But it's because I love my family so much that my, book, that my love for my books seems like hatred in comparison. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Everything else in our lives, our mothers, our fathers, our brothers, our sisters, our children, even ourselves, is in second place. When the chips are down, when the sacrifice time comes, it's not Jesus that gets the short end of the stick. It's everything else that gets short shrift. Our dedication to Jesus overshadows our love for our family such that when we are truly called to choose between one or the other, that we side with Christ This is a bold thing for us to think through. One commentator crystallized it very well. He said, the choice is not between Jesus and the devil. It's far more subtle. The choice is between Jesus and our strongest allegiances. A choice between Jesus and family, Jesus and business, or Jesus and profit. Choosing between Jesus and good things is sometimes what this will call us to do. Now, those things aren't always going to be mutually exclusive, but when they are, everything else is put into second place. Family, finances, my own personal favorite, me time. All goes into the second spot. All on to the lower shelf. And this is really hard to do because we're called to be good stewards of these things. This is not some sort of Buddhistic, well, we just pretend it's all of loss and just write it off. You don't get to do that. You don't get to write off your family. You don't get to say my finances don't matter. You don't get to say my children don't matter. 
We are to love our children and our families and love Christ. That's where real discipleship comes in. And parents who have had wayward children feel this tension. You don't get to just write off your kids. But you're praying for them. But also staying faithful to Christ. And that if they're living in a pattern of sin, that that calls them to have really difficult conversations. Holding of that tension. And that's what discipleship is. That's why it's a sacrifice. And seeing all of that, this last line that even that we are willing to hate, even our own life, it makes sense. One would have to be willing to be of hating of their own life if it's going to be prepared for a life of discipleship. That's why when Jesus says, Whoever does not, in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We've really lost the impact of that phrase because we don't crucify people anymore. Thank the Lord. But on this audience, this is a really sobering point. As we've said before, uh, as one of, my comment, one of my favorite commentators, Leon Morris, had put it, a man who was holding a cross was a man on a one-way journey. Someone who was bearing a cross through their village to head on to the outside was a man taking his last steps. This is a radical call to death. We don't even have something like that in our modern day anymore. To even use the phrase like pick up our electric chair and carry it to the outside of the city, it doesn't capture that because it's over so quickly. It's a striking example of ultimate sacrifice, of one who is willing to put their entire life aside for Christ. One example of this is the story of a soldier. His name is Calvin Buchnight. He was a medic in the Vietnam War. It was during a rather intense battle that this medic, his name's Calvin, is crisscrossing the battlefield, going from wounded soldier to wounded soldier. He didn't make it back from that particular battle because he caught a bullet between his shoulder blades. And the reason why is because he would attend to his people by turning his back to the enemy and hunch over the person in front of him so that he could give as much medical attention as possible. It was a true sacrifice and no greater love, wasn't it, that he would lay down his life for his comrades. And it's this single-minded devotion that Jesus is calling us to in these initial verses. And if we can't do it, if we can't make that commitment, then we can't be his disciples. As one commentator put it, we can't expect to live for Christ if we're not willing to die for him. And maybe that's why Jesus in these next few verses tells us these parables to help us think through this Radical call to discipleship. Here, when he goes on into verse 28, it begins the question, for which of you, anticipating a no response, none of us would take this approach in verse 28, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? The tower that he's referring to is probably some sort of observation tower, maybe a, a portion of a barn that you would build on your own property. 
And the idea would be, be absurd to start building something without sitting down and thinking through what all this would cost. The idea that Jesus is saying to sit down is, is meaning a intense focus. This isn't a back of the envelope or ballpark figure that this person is trying to come up to. This is someone who has thought through each and every penny as they've written these things down. We don't want to start something if we don't know that we've got enough to finish for it. Otherwise, we might get through and find out we don't have enough. We found this today when we were, uh, my wife and I, we were thinking about putting together a little box garden for our home. And then we sat down and counted the cost of lumber and decided that that was not going to be the way to go this year. <laughs> As things have become much more expensive than we had originally planned. We knew we would not be able to finish the task because we had sat down and found out what it costs. And this is where I think we can find a lot of comfort in what Jesus is saying. If we sit down and we count the cost and know what it is going to cost us, then we can spend freely. We know what it will mean to follow after Christ. And I think when we see who Jesus is, as we will here in these next few verses, that it's going to be seen as worth it to be seen as more than worth what we have to give up. Counting the cost is something that we see in all of life and should be willing to do. In fact, I remember coming across in a diet book of all places, was saying that half of getting what you want is knowing what you have to give up to get it. And if we don't know what it is that we're having to give up, we're not likely to, to, to get what we're after. I think that's what we're seeing here. So as we ask this question of what we're ready to give up, are you, are you ready to let go of those things that might be holding you back? It's not just the sins or things that are anti-God that I'm talking about. That's a given that we have to give up. But are you being willing to be called a fool when you stand up against a culture that says there's no such thing as truth? Are you willing to give up standing in the community and be called out as unloving because you won't affirm an unbiblical view of sexuality? Are you prepared to be content if Christ doesn't give you what you're looking for in your life? Can you give up your dreams so that others may know Christ? Are you prepared to die for Christ? These are the questions we have to sit with. And to concern ourselves of what we might be asked to give up. But on the other hand, are we prepared to live for Christ? Not all of discipleship is dramatic. In fact, most of it isn't. Most of discipleship is that quiet moment-by-moment surrender. Getting up another time to try to raise godly children. For grandparents to offer up yet another prayer for the grandchildren. For the minimum wage earner who is patient with abusive people. Because that's what God would want them to do. Or the new couple just starting out in marriage and finding all the ways that God is sanctifying them and continue on that path. Or the college student who is considering their major not on the basis of how much money that they can earn. But on how much glory they can bring to Christ with their 
choices. Or the retiree who, after working for decades, now takes a look at what God would have them do next. It's these moments of ordinary surrender and following after Christ that can take a larger toll than a one-time grand gesture of sacrifice. It is living for Christ. Just because there's no threat of jail doesn't mean that it can't cost in following after Jesus. Of reorienting our entire life's agenda to what he would have for us. Are we prepared to pay those costs? But to ask it in another way, as we look at the next parable, how can we afford not to? We go into our second point, that not following Christ will cost us even more than everything. The first parable of a man building a tower was about someone taking a voluntary action, sitting down to determine whether or not he's going to build a tower. The next sitting down in calculation, is involuntary. For it tells the story of a king who is preparing for an invading army. This army is twice the size of his own, 20,000 versus 10. And it has been said that bad generals hope for victory, but great generals make sure that victory is secure before the battle even begins. And what this king is discovering is that this invading army cannot be Repelled, Being outnumbered two to one is not a recipe for success. So this king, after sitting down and working it all out, realizes that there is no other way forward except to surrender and to sue for peace. Now Jesus picks this up in verse 33, that if we are unable to surrender, that we cannot be his disciple. You see, we are going to surrender to something. Something is going to hold all of our allegiances. And anything that we could put in that category except for Christ is going to fade, is going to be lost, no matter what it is we put our allegiance to. Because here's the thing, Christ is coming in judgment. There is an invading kingdom that is coming. And we have to make do with it. And our surrender must be unconditional. Because if we don't, then we risk being cast out. We will be cast out. Look what it says here in verse 34 and 35, picking up on this idea of the half-hearted committed disciple. It says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Salt at this time was not the kind of thing that we get today in our supermarkets, where it's pure sodium chloride in our little shakers. Here, salt would have been gathered from the Dead Sea, and it would have been filled with all these other impure minerals. And you would have gotten some salt out of it, but after a while, the salt gets leached out, and all that's left is just the useless minerals. And here, these minerals wouldn't even be useful for soil. It's not helpful to help grow plants. It's not even helpful for the manure pile, which they would have used to cook. It would have provided a, provide a heat source. You would have put the salt and the minerals in there to help that to, to light and cook effectively. 
There was literally no use for something that wasn't fully salt. So it would be thrown away. And that's what Jesus has for us today. If our lives are not fully given over to Christ, we will be cast out. Christ has no use for someone who is half-heartedly committed. It's either full commitment to Christ or nothing. Now that should sober us as we think through this. We take a long time to decide on something like a new car or a new house. When on average... Americans stay in a car for about seven years, and we stay in a house for about 13 on average. We put great thought into how much that's going to cost us, and great thought into whether or not we're really ready to make a commitment to something that's going to last for seven whole years. But a commitment to Christ is going to something that, is, that has implications for all of eternity. And it's going to cost way more than a payment with two or four or five percent interest. This is something that is going to cost us everything. Maybe if we put more thought, more conscious realization of what we're committing to, maybe we wouldn't be so hesitant when Christ calls us to sacrifice. That's where the tension is, though, isn't it? If we're really honest with ourselves, how do we get to this point where we're willing to give up our own family, our own lives, our own dreams, our own finances, our own everything for someone we can't even see? How do you get there? This isn't something that you gin up on your own. This isn't something where we white-knuckle our way to faithfulness. This is something that we receive. This is something, a commitment that presses itself on you when you see Christ as the king that he is. Because you see, Christ isn't asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done for you. He commands us to be willing to be rejected by family. Jesus was. He commands us to be willing to let go of everything that, that you own. The Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Being willing to hate our own life, looking at it as a second place of another. Jesus did at the cross. Jesus was this invading king with an army that was overwhelming. But he stepped off of his horse and sued for peace. And now invites you into his kingdom. We deserve to be crushed like the sinful rebels that we are. Yet Jesus came and took that punishment for our treason willingly. He left the seat of honor to take the lowest seat. And he invited the ragtag undesirables to be a part of his feast. And has sacrificed everything to do so. We just sang about it this morning in our first hymn that he left his father's throne above. For us. Can you imagine trying to. There's no way that we could even. There's nothing that we could picture. The idea of turning ourselves into an ant. So that we could save a little anthill that's in our yard. But even that much of a gap. Is nothing compared to the gap that God has, has left over for us. What else could we cling to? That's worth more than a relationship with the God of the universe. 
Yes, the cost is high, but the return is far more than anything we could keep here. And we can't keep anything here. Truly, our treasure is in heaven and it is in the person of Jesus Christ, a treasure that will never leave us. Famous missionary, Mr. Elliot, had said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When we give up these things that we can't keep, that we can't take on with us after we die, we're no fool to give those things up in order to gain Christ more fully. Now, what does this look like practically? We've been talking all in the the realm of the ideal, but what does this look like on our day-to-day boots-on-the-ground faithfulness in Christianity? Does it look like divesting ourselves of all of our property and living as wandering vagrants? No. It's not what Jesus is asking us to do. Our houses, our families, and our marriages are all good things that Christ has commands for. But when do we know when those good things have taken first place in our lives? When do we know when these things are out of balance? Uh, Pastor Paul Tripp explains this very beautifully. Listen carefully what he says here. He says, a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. A good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. And this is what he's talking about here with Jesus when he's talking about cost and surrendering. All these other things in our lives, even the good things, cannot be ruling things when it comes to Christ. Anything that we have that would cause us to hesitate or recalculate obedience to Jesus has become a ruling thing. When there is something else in your mind that goes, but what about this? When you're asked to follow after Christ, there's your ruling thing that needs to be brought into the second place. If your mom has more rule over your life than Christ does, it's out of balance. When your consideration of your own dignity at work becomes of greater consequence than Christ's calling for you, it's out of balance. And it becomes a ruling thing. Instead, everything that we have is to be ruled by Christ. So if you have something that's holding you back, whatever that is, for heaven's sake, get rid of it. Whatever it takes. There is nothing that is worth Christ. No image on the internet, no amount of personal fulfillment, no person is worth Christ. But if you're here today saying, I can't. My heart is unwilling. Well, at this point, you need to ask God for a change. This is something that Christ can give you. You say, well, I don't know that I want to sacrifice. It's like, all right, well, do you want to want to sacrifice for him? There's a start. It's Christ working in you. Lean into that. Ask him for his help. Or even if you have come to Christ and have made that costly calculation, as you grow in your Christian life, you will find more and more areas that you didn't even know were places that were in first. This is something that is going to be a growing reality. So when you come into your life and you find something and go, oh my goodness, this has been in first place all the time. It's like, have I not been saved? It's like, no, it's just called sanctification. Christ isn't going to reveal to you all at once how bad you are. You'd be crushed by it. 
But instead, he gives you bit by bit. And as we see these areas of need, surrender, these are things that we ask Christ for help in. I had no idea how selfish I was until I had a son. And all the parents are like, yeah, we know. I didn't realize how much I had prized my own time. Or prized my own sleep. I was willing to hold those things and complain about their loss. That wasn't me counting the cost. Counting the cost of being a faithful father. Following after Jesus. It's all there. A maturing Christian life is a growing realization about how good God is and how much he is worth. And how we sacrifice in order to have more of that. It's one of the things I fear in American Christianity is we tend to think that if we are called to sacrifice something, it's just too much. And we miss out on so many blessings when we do that. Some of the greatest blessings I've had for, with my Christian life is after a point of sacrifice. So I would beg you, don't pass up these blessings that God wants to give to you. Don't pass up these opportunities to know Christ more because we're afraid of what it may cost us. Rest in the knowledge that it's going to cost you everything anyway. So come to him. Rest in him. So to sum it all up, bring it to conclusion, what's our takeaway? Takeaway is this. Following after Christ is going to cost you everything. But it will give you far more than you could ever hope to gain. You can't afford to not follow after Christ. So sit down and look at this. Fully realize these things. This is not how we come to Christ. We don't impress God by how much we've given up for him. But because we are impressed by God, we are willing to give up everything in response. That is what he's looking for. And this is going to be a daily thing. You're going to need to daily take yourself back off of the throne and put Jesus back on it. Daily surrendering, daily sacrificing. But then as we do, as we are prone to fix our gaze on what it's going to cost us, I pray that, you would, that Christ would lift up your face, that he would, you would see his smile, the invading king that comes and has conquered for you and will one day bring you into his kingdom. Let the knowledge that Jesus has, holds nothing against you and has given you everything, that you would hold nothing back from him. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we do thank you for this passage that you've given to us. I pray that you would help us with joy realize what we can sacrifice for you. Lord, I pray that if there are any who are here that have not made that calculation, if there are any who are here that have not repented and put their trust in you, oh, I pray that they would come today. I pray that they would sit down Count this cost and realize that you offer more than they could possibly have. I pray for those of us that have made this commitment to you. I ask that you would fill us with your joy. That we would delightedly throw aside anything that we have that's keeping us from you. 
so that we might see you more every day. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.